take the mark. Oh, he's a light, Gary Ampler. Look at this. Here is the magician at work. He shoots towards goal. What more can you say? Hargraves kicks inside the 50, bounces in front of Burns, Burns magnificently, this deserves a goal, and he's got it, what a classic. Inboard, awkward kick by Colvin, half-half ball, 50-50, Riccardi brilliant, what a goal this will be, magic! Can't break free of the tackle, and Rook rolls it along the line, oh. that is amazing! Steve Johnson, another one who the Cats will be hoping gets up today. And again, there's a turnover. And Edwards, the little genius, drives it home. Chapman can run in and finish the job. Of Kidinia Park, it's the Cats Whiskers. Hello, I'm Wes Cusworth, and welcome to the Cats Whiskers as we take a walk down memory lane for a look at the career of former Cat and Waffle Premiership player from 1995, Ronnie Burns. It's great to have you on board, whether you're hearing us through any of a number of podcasting platforms or on Sport FM in Perth. Let's welcome the panel of Megan Holtz, Gus Marini, Mark Brunger, and Anthony Petkovic. Beginning with Megan, the Cats got the job done against Adelaide, but is the fact that it wasn't particularly convincing a cause for concern? They did get the job done, and it was a little cause for concern for my liking, Wes, um, but probably better than what we have done in the past when we've been really up against it, against a lower side like that. We knew Adelaide would um, would have a really hard contest. They were They were due to, and Geelong was probably due to have a uh, not so good a game, um, but at least we did play out that fourth quarter and look good in that fourth quarter. Indeed. Welcome, Anthony. We were down in centre clearances when the game was in the balance. How do the Cats improve on that facet of the game? Well, Wes, Geelong did fix this issue during the game, which is exactly when and where you want it fixed, because by the end of the game, the Cats were winning it at will. You have to give some credit to Adelaide here because Rory Sloan, Matt Crouch and Rory Laird are pretty fair players. What I was impressed with was the pressure Geelong put Adelaide ball carriers um, because their clearances didn't amount to much at all. Mike Runger, we saw big games once again from Cam Guthrie and Sam Menegola. In your estimation, are they creeping into all Australian conversation? Oh, I think they've got a lot of friends in the uh, Geelong lineup at the moment, Wes, that would be in uh, all Australian conversation. But I really think Cam Guthrie is a, is a huge chance. He's had an outstanding season. And I'll go as far to say right now that I think he might... Uh, might have a kaji around his neck at uh, the end of the season. Be cool. And Gus Marini, welcome to you. What did you make of Jack Stevens' best game since joining the Cats? I'll use um, two words here, or it could be compressed into one word, and that is wild card. Jack Steven is getting better and better. And, and remember, we lost Tim Kelly last year. And not for a moment do does any Geelong supporter of the Geelong hierarchy think that you're going to replace Tim Kelly straight away with, with Jack Steven. But Jack Steven is building. We know what Jack Stevens' best footy is like. If he can bring 80% of 
of the best of Jack Stephen into a finals campaign. That is a huge wild card for the Geelong Football Club. And so, where's to answer your question? I'm really liking what I'm seeing. I think at the moment he's probably his mind's probably writing a few checks that his body can't cash at the minute, but he's getting better. And I think that just adds it just adds to the chemistry and to the uh, the depth of the club. Actually, you are raise a really, really good question, Gus, and that is the form of Tim Kelly. And, and given our Sport FM listenership over there in Perth, I do want to ask the question, and it's open for anyone to answer the question, because we're all seeing so much football right at the moment, and we've probably seen as many West Coast games as we ever see in any given season, is Tim Kelly playing as good a football for West Coast as he did for Geelong? Or is it as important that he's playing as good for West Coast as he did for Geelong? There's a couple of thoughts there, a couple of questions for you. In dispatches, he is. I've seen Tim Kelly closely this year. And, um, yeah, he is. At times when you just sort of salivate and think, of, geez, I wish he was back at Geelong. But as a whole, um, I think his season has been good. I don't think it's been excellent. But um, we ask, going back to what Mark was saying, if, if Tim Kelly's in that side, and we don't know the answer to this, does Sam Menegola and does Cam Guthrie rise to that next level if he's still on the team? Of course, later in the program, we will have Gus's team talk, the coach's pet. But first, we're fortunate to have the chance to chat with former cat, Ronnie Burns. A five-time leading goalkeeper for the Cats, Ronnie Burns was as mercurial as he was magical. Recruited to Kidinier Park as the 49th pick in the 1995 AFL draft, he immediately filled the void left by Gary Ablett Sr., as Geelong's excitement machine. Possessed of lightning speed, sharp reflexes and a capacity to nail goals from seemingly impossible angles, Ronnie booted 239 majors from his 134 games in the hoops before venturing to Adelaide for two further seasons. A waffle premiership player for West Perth in 1995, he was also a three-time State of Origin representative for the Allies. Ronnie, it is an absolute delight to have you on the Cats Whiskers. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on the night. Uh looking forward to it. You had an absolutely incredible career with Geelong. Was it everything you dreamed it would be? Look, it's, been, it's worked out, oh, I suppose, um, I suppose coming, in the, coming to Geelong at the age, I suppose 22 really, uh, 21 and a half I was drafted by, so I was probably a bit late, but, uh, and I suppose I just rolled the dice and thought uh, coming in a bit late, uh, at the age of 22, I think I started my first game, and um, uh, look, it's worked out pretty well. Megan, I just thought uh, coming into a side that come off the 95 grand final, obviously Carlton beating them. But as a, uh, a kid at the age of 21, coming in, wasn't expecting to play every game my first year. I was just probably focused on hopefully just playing one, but uh, ended up playing every game and, and also State of Origin my first year. So um, it, all, it worked out well for me. Um, and I think it was great, great, just a great time. And for some of the great plays there, Coming off that 95 loss grand final with Carlton. So, I was, yeah, it worked out pretty well. Ronnie, take us back to the initial days when you first got to Geelong, obviously, into a new environment with uh, new people, new teammates. Uh, you're into the elite level. What was it like in those early days for you to settle into uh, into the Geelong, the town, Geelong, the football club? Yeah, look, I didn't know much about Geelong. I just thought Geelong was a suburb of Melbourne. So, that's how much there. Well, I think it was my first time I ever headed to Melbourne from Perth. But, um, look, I, I think, um, you know, I didn't know much about the town either. And uh, I think as soon as I got off the, off the plane, I actually flew from Darwin and Graham Jelly at that time was the welfare 
football manager and we, I, I think I got in at night. So I, I, I just assumed Geelong was part of, of Melbourne. Um, I didn't have any information about how far Geelong was out of out of Melbourne. So um, I just assumed the club that obviously you probably thought I'd, I have been to Melbourne before, but I didn't. So, um, and also, I mean, knowing the players, I, as, a, as a kid, or, you know, watching, even playing in Perth, I did watch Geelong, take a lot of interest in watching Geelong because of Gaza, Senior Abbott, obviously, and uh, Buddha Hawkins, Billy Brownless, Barry Stoneham, Peter Ricard, these guys, you know, I used to watch them on TV in Perth. And uh, so I did, I did know about the side and, you know, Lee Colbert was the young gun coming through um, at that time. So there were some great players there and I did have a bit of knowledge about Geelong players and, and the team. But uh, I think me coming to Melbourne or coming to Geelong, I didn't realise it was, I think it was uh, 60, 65 k's out of, out of uh, Melbourne. Now, so, that being the point, Ronnie, did that, would that work out better for you that Geelong wasn't a suburb yeah. in Melbourne or did it work out the opposite that you prefer to have been right. in Melbourne? Oh, look, I think it worked out really well for me. I've been a kid from Darwin or from Terry Island. Obviously, the transition that I've been through from Terry Island onto Darwin, obviously, beating board, obviously been in boarding school for five years in Darwin and obviously down to Perth. Um, my transition in the football has been good. Um, and obviously going down to Perth for five years uh, as a young, raw kid coming from Darwin and playing against, uh, I'd say, men down that, that, at that time in Western Australian Footy League, which was a great competition as well. And uh, you had to earn your spot in the waffle. Uh, there were some great players around, and I think around that time I was down there, there was only West Coast Eagles. There was no Fremantle. So the competition was very solid um, and very tough. Um, so they've only had, obviously, West Coast Eagles. So my transition coming into football was great. And then, obviously, being Geelong out of town, out of Melbourne, which I've had some great mates, you know, Aboriginal fellas that, uh, Aboriginal past players that have actually came straight into Melbourne, found the transition a bit harder, thrown straight in the big city. But, yeah, Geelong did, uh, to answer your question, Geelong did work out really well for me. I think it was a bit of a catch-22 because, I suppose, for me, been a, I suppose, an Indigenous player since a big gap since Polly Farm and breaking in it straight away in my first year. I think a lot of it just, just absolutely just confronted me straight away. Built a sort of a, a, I suppose, a good support followers. Um, you know, I suppose a bit of a cult figure down there at that time. And and it was uh, as a young kid coming or as a 21 year old, I thought everything just sort of came at me 100 miles an hour. And, I just had to. I had some good people around me that supported me as well. So um, I had an Aboriginal family down there, Marin Edwards and Trev Edwards, the late Trev Edwards, who's passed on now years ago. They looked after me at the, down in Geelong as billet family and actually kept me grounded. So, fancy question. Geelong's been good and very good for me um, for my football and that transition. Ronnie, you came uh, originally from St Mary's up in the Northern Territory. We know. Yeah. What a hugely successful club St Mary's has been over the years. Possibly one of the most well-known football clubs outside of Melbourne, maybe almost. Tell us a little bit about what St Mary's was like and why they were such a successful club. Oh, look, I think they're. I think yeah. Well, they're one of the most successful clubs. I think it's the. the um, I mean, my grand my grandfather played in the first grand final premiership in St Mary's Footy Club, and he was from Terry Island, and uh, also there was about six or seven Terry Island men that came from Terry Island over to Darwin uh, to play. So that was sort of their recruit. And I think my grandfather was the one that looked after Morris Rioli's dad, the Duns, 
old uh, Victor Dunn's uh, and Kaji Dunn's old man. So my grandfather, being the eldest out of the crew, actually brought him into, into um, brought him into Darwin. And I think uh, you know the names of the Dunn's, the Longs, the Riolis, and the Begonas. Uh, they just had a strong, just strong football uh, genes and, and and great players, and it just flowed on. And it, um, and we kept that that culture going. With our with our football family bloodlines and and it's still ongoing it's still going as we speak so the Riolis the Longs um, are still playing and you can obviously see it in the draft you've got Ben Long who's playing at St Kilda um, and obviously the Riolis as well so been a good bloodline and that's why they've been a very successful footy club um, great talent that's come through there it's probably not a name that will uh, come to mind for a lot of our listeners but certainly. Uh, a name that uh, is familiar to a lot of people who will be listening to us here in Geelong. But I'm just wondering if you uh, cross paths with uh, Devon Perry whilst you're playing up there at St Mary's. He would have been oh, yeah, there yeah, at well, that yeah, time. Devin, yeah, Devon's one of my great mates. And uh, the Christensen brothers um, as well, you know, that are actually from Geelong area. Uh, uh, Alan Christensen's mum, who's from Tiwi Island, who's the Tiwi Island lady, obviously married uh, one of the Christensen brothers. And, uh, you know, uh, the Christensen brothers, I think the connection there was John Taylor, who has actually um, had connection with Geelong, has actually recruited guys from around the around the Geelong League. So I think, um, you know, Devon Perry, I actually played with Devon Perry at West, West uh, at uh, St Mary's and played against him in the, in the Waffle League. So a very tough, tough customer. And uh, yeah, their names are on the board at St Mary's and actually succeeded... Um, uh, done really well at the St Mary's Footy Club and, and still go back there and visit the club as well. They've got a great connection there. Ronnie, when uh, Megan was reading your bio, she used words like mercurial, magical and excitement machine. You were a very flamboyant player. Was there any any attempt by the Geelong coaches to uh, to alter your playing style a bit or to rein you in a bit or to uh, get you to play a more orthodox method? Or were you given licence to do uh, some of the things that you did? Oh, look, um, yeah, that's, I mean, I sort of laughed at that question because um, they try to change. I mean, Gary Ayres is still a great mate of mine and, and keeps in contact and so does Jeff Geish. And I think I think the, the best saying that Gary Ayres actually said to me and to the players, because I think they just let me go and do what I wanted to do. Because um, I think the whole thing of Geelong, the, the lifestyle in the town, and um, I think Gary actually understood the way I was as a person outside football. Um, and he just basically said, the, um, you know, he basically just said that I'm not going to change the way you train or the way you play. Um, he just wanted me to turn up the training. And, and he just always said to me, just bring your game on Saturday. Um, and just make sure you do everything right outside football. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't do that too many things too right outside footy. But I think the most important thing he just said, as long as you turn up to training and you're happy, I think that's what he liked. Um, I think players have got different personality and, and the way they go about things. And I think all my coaches' staff, some of them did try to change me, but I think Gary Ayres and Jeff Geeshan that knew me pretty well, basically just said people like Ron, uh, some of the forwards coach like Normie Dare and that that comes through there just said you um, you just got to let Ronnie be how he is and that's it. So it's um, I think they just let me go. I think the main thing was easy. Just said as long as you turn up happy. And when I didn't turn up happy, if I was uh, if he knew I was my jovial self or playing jokes, he knew straight away that something was wrong. So he knew me very well. So I think um, I think to answer your question. I think they just sort of let me go and 
I didn't do any extra training. Um, I didn't do extra 5Ks on the treadmill like the other guys, which there's some regrets there. I wish I did, but I, I think it's sort of a bit corny sort of saying that I think just my talent got me through. And if I wish, I, there is a bit of regret. So I wish I did train harder because some of the guys, the late Philip Walsh did say to me, um, he said, you know, Ron, if you actually just trained a bit harder and did a bit extra hard or extra work, you would have, could have, you know, you could have got more out of yourself. But, um, you know, I wish, I wish I could go back and do something, but, but there's no regrets for me. I just think I, I think that's the way the players, even the players just knew my personality, how I was. Ronnie, prior to coming to the Cats, you were, of course, a Waffle Premiership player for West Perth in 1995 as Megan Redout. Now, that was quite an historic occasion, of course. Snapped a 20-year Premiership drought for West Perth, but also against Subiaco, who I think had finished the top of the table some five games clear of the second-placed West, West Perth. And it went down as one of the, the more brutal, uh, violent grand finals in Waffle history. What's your recollections of that occasion? Oh, look, it's... Um Look, Jeff Geeson uh, installed a tough game, uh, a, play, a game plan in West Perth, and then he came out of Geelong. So that was the reason why I got to Geelong because of Jeff Geeson. Um, but uh, I think it's look, it's I think West Perth is always we've been known as the garlic munchers. Um, there's a saying. Um, um, Subiac have always been a, a very forceful side over there, and Claremont. Um, look, it was a 25-year drought. Um, I think it was 1975, and uh, we had a great side. We had Darren Harris, Neil Mildenhall, um, Derek Hall uh, as well. But um, I just thought, well, just the, the team that we had, we had Craig Turley, who was just on the on the on the outer of uh, West Coast Eagles, actually played with us in that in that 95 flag. So we had a great side. We had some great talent. Todd Curley was another one who played for us as well. But I think just we had at that at that year 95, we had some great players. And some of those guys went on to play AFL, Todd Curley, myself, I mean, Derek Hall. Um, so, you know, we've, um, we've, it was just a great balanced side. And um, we've had some, you know, some clashes with Subiaco and, uh, and Claremont. Um, but we, we end up uh, getting over them. Well, we were very lucky to draft you to Geelong, Ronnie. Five-time leading goal kicker at the club. Is that something that you ever thought you would achieve? Uh, no, not, no, I didn't. I think the funny story about me coming to Geelong, I think I had a couple of interests. Uh, West Coast Eagles uh, was one of them that actually sent me a letter, but I didn't open the letter. I just went back to Darwin. I had no interest in playing AFL footy. I was just happy to play Waffle and then go back to Darwin, which I did. Um, uh, I remember at the, uh, at the 95 Grand Final uh, Premiership uh, celebration, West Coast Eagles sent me a letter and it just sat on the table at the uh, at the footy club for the whole night. And I think some of the boys were saying, are you going to open a letter? I said, nah, not interested. Uh, I ended up going back to Darwin three days later. And I think Steve Woodhouse, if you guys probably know, Steve Woodhouse was our football manager at the time, and he actually nominated me in the draft. So <laughs> I had no intentions of uh, putting myself in the draft. And he rang me up and down and said, mate, I'm going to nominate you for the draft. And I basically just said, why is that? He just said, I think you might be a good chance of getting drafted. So that's how it all came about. Steve, Steve Woodhouse didn't put my, my form in or my nomination. I wouldn't have got picked up from Geelong. Um, but to answer your question, Megan, I, I didn't expect to... I think I'm just a small half forward, um, you know. I mean, that's my job is to kick goals. And I think Gary Ablett at that time, I think he was nine, nine years in a row. I think I come second to him twice, I think, just kicking 30-odd goals. But 
we just had some key forwards, um, as you guys probably aware. We had some key forwards, um, and I, I don't know, I just did my job. What I had to do was kick goals, and uh, I just think at the end of the season, I just found myself on top of the ladder kicking goals. So I didn't, go, I wasn't going to, I didn't realise I was going to be five time leading goal kicker, but I just went out there and did my job. Speaking of goals, Ronnie, um, you, you were welcomed with open arms with the Cadenia Park faithful very early. There was no doubting your ability um, <clears throat> in some of the, the, the tight situations you found yourself in and the supporters would be gasping the next minute you'd get out of that tight corner and snap a goal with your left foot. But what it showed us sitting in the stands that you really enjoyed your football. Um, we find a lot of players in this day and age don't really enjoy what they do, but it seemed to us from the outer that you actually did enjoy what you did for a living. Is that a, a correct perception or was, it, was there something else yeah. to that? Yeah, look, and you're right. I mean, as soon as I walk into the change room, I mean, Gary has just grabbed me by, you know, put his arm around my neck. And, um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of the guys in the, in the club, it's, I, and I, I've, always, I've said this before that um, Gary has would always check on me on the way in and just pull me over, you know, and, and put his arm around me and just say, mate, have you been happy this week? And I'll go, yeah. Everybody was very professional in what they did, you know, and uh, I was just a bit more erratic. I'd, I'd do things before the before the week or before the game a bit out of the box. But Gary Ayres knew me very well, and he always check on me on a Saturday morning and, and pull me over, have a stern word, and just basically say, what did you do last night? What did you do Friday? And I said, not much. And he pulled my ear, and he goes, tell me the truth. What did you do? I said, stay at home. So, um, you know, as long as he saw me smile on the face and, look, I, I think I just went out there as long as he just said, mate, he just knew what I was like. If I was happy, um, he knew I'd turn it on and, and, and that's what was how, how it was. And I think even the supporters, I, I, I really embraced the Geelong supporters. I've never really, I've, I don't know, I suppose the way I played footy, I think the Cats supporters just enjoyed it. And I, if I got a couple, one or two goals and I knew they were happy, it just sort of made me happy. So the Geelong supporters have been always been terrific to me, even still today. Um, you know, I think it's just, I just had to go out there and, and, and snap a quick goal. or And I think the crowd just knew that he's on today. If I didn't get any, a goal or an early touch in the first half, they knew, well, he's not going to be, he's not going to have a good day. So that's just how I was, I suppose. <laughs> Did you take any sort of... Um any inspiration or what sort of inspiration did you take from the Indigenous players that had played before you or come before you in the in the AFL okay. and EFL? Yeah. Oh, look, I think the, the, the guy that I really look up to is um, Magic McLean and obviously Michael Long. But, uh, you know, Magic McLean is uh, still in contact with me. I've always had a... I've always remember watching Michael McLean at Footscray on the halfback flank, uh, watching him as a kid. and. Um, he was actually the first uh, ever Territorian to come down the VFL um, at the age of 17. Um, you know, the guys like Morris Rioli um, and these guys all went, and Basil Campbell all went to Waffle, but people don't re- recall that Michael McLean was the first Territorian that actually came down to VFL uh, in the Western uh, Western Oval. I think he was, I'm, I think he might have been 16 and a half, so he was actually the first one. I really remember watching him playing on the on the on the TV show, The Winners, and I used to I used to idolise Michael McLean, and um, they're two different people. Um, there wasn't too many of us uh, Aboriginal players playing in Melbourne at that time. I reckon there would have been about maybe fifteen, maybe fifteen or sixteen of us, and I think Michael Long was a big 
he was he was a big um, you know a big status for us because he would actually put, have a run a barbecue once a month for the uh, Aboriginal boys and meet at, meet with him at his house in Essendon. He was our big support mechanism. So I would I'd, we'd catch up and he'd organise a lunch or a dinner uh, once every four, every month or so. So um, and Long is one of those guys that I looked up to as well. So um, yeah, I mean they're the two guys um, that I really looked up to in my in my footy at that time in Victoria. Ronnie, last year we had uh, Gary Ablett in a space of a few weeks get into trouble with the tribunal or the uh, MRO or whatever you'd like to call it. And that was totally yeah. out of character to what has preceded his career and, and this year as well. You in 2001 visited the tribunal several times in a pretty short period of time. Was it, was it just coincidence yeah, or was it just... Uh, just a run of circumstances because some of those were very trivial uh, matters it appeared to me and and and, the, and right through your career apart from that short period you you were always a very very fair player yeah look i was probably one of those guys um uh, you know i was always targeted um all the time because i suppose if you uh, if you're kicking goals for your side, and we had some great forwards uh, that came to the side and when we had some we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of recycle Big forwards too, um, you know uh, that comes through Brett Spinks, the Mooney brothers, uh, more so Jason Mooney from Sydney Swans, uh, Mitchell White, you know. So we we had some big. When I say recycle, I mean they're they're guys that actually had some. They had great careers at their first clubs and 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 all the second clubs. And Geelong seemed to get these big timbers when they've sort of come to the end of their. To, I suppose their bodies being bashed too much and. I think it just, uh, and you know, I mean, Mitchell Watt was a good example. I mean, he was a premiership player, West Coast, great champ. They're, and they're all great blokes and love them dearly. But I think their body just couldn't hold up. I think Geelong, we sort of got those type of players. And, they, and it sort of fell back onto small forwards to kick goals at Geelong because their bodies couldn't hold up. I mean, they'd go for third, I don't know, probably two or three quarters and then they'd break down. So, I mean, I, I was targeted and Gary Ayres knew that. And, um, and he'd actually say in the meetings that, you know, my magnet will be on the side. I'm thinking, am I out on the out on the side, out off the side or something? But he'd he'd put a circle around my name and said, we've got to look after Ronnie and protect Ronnie because I, I don't. He, I suppose they just knew that um, I needed to kick three or four goals. And and these big guys, uh, you know, they, if they had a day out, if they kick four or five, it'd be great. But I think they just knew that you know, if we can cut cut Ronnie loose and and help him out and put blocks. And I think to answer your question, those. I remember that year suspension. Yeah, it was a tough year because I just kept, kept getting targeted and targeted, and 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 I was actually, you know, it was two on the one. I had guys just running into me every everywhere I went in stoppages, and um, yeah, I just constantly just got bashed um, in the in the stoppages all the time. So, and that was just the good old. I mean, the small forwards today. Oh, geez, I'd love to play in a small forward in this modern era, but um, back them days. Uh, uh, Jeff Farmer, myself, these guys would actually get would just get hammered, I suppose, because you'd break games open. You know, you only needed four or five touches, and then you could probably kick three or four, and then break the game open. Now, small forwards like the Eddie Betts and that, um, if they kick three or four, three goals, they seem to have a bad game. You know what I mean? They've got to kick five or six. They had a wonderful game. So, um, yeah, I just went on a, I just sort of went on a, a frustration year that year. I just got targeted and. I suppose the players around me started rally, and uh, the, you know Gary Ayres and the coaching staff got them together, and so we need to protect Ronnie a bit more, and and they did their job, and and they they done they, yeah, they done a wonderful job at it. 
Speaking with five-time leading goal kicker for the Cats, Ronnie Burns. And Ronnie, of course, we're coming off the Sir Douglas Nichols round, which was a fabulous celebration of Indigenous culture and Indigenous players in the game. Are you, are you really satisfied when you see a round of that nature and the way in which it's played out uh, in the eyes of all Australians by the AFL? Or do you think there's still a fair way to go? Oh, look, I think it's, well, these, these conversations keep coming up, you know, here and there. And I think for myself personally, um, you know, I mean, I've done the Mungle show for many years, but I've sort of stayed away from um, from footy a fair bit um, as well. Uh, I suppose that's why I, I came up to Cairns. I, I, I sort of just look at doing other things in life. But I do get people ring me up about, you know, the Indigenous. I think, look, the football, um, I think they've come a long way. Um, back in our days, and I've got blokes that we played in area, and we go, geez, we wish we'd play in this era because the stuff, the things that happen in Indigenous round, it's just unbelievable. Um, you know, the entertainment, um, you know, even the jumpers, uh, I think all the clubs, they really embrace it. Uh, the AFL embrace it. Even the supporters, I think it's come a long, long way, and it's only getting better and better. And I think the AFL set that standard, and the NRL are actually following suit. Um, but I think the AFL have actually done a wonderful job you know setting the standard with the indigenous round and, and now you see the nrl following suit but again i take my hat off to you know to the supporters um because they really embrace it and and look forward to it and i think it's more that they really um i suppose what's the word they really uh, embrace the indigenous culture and uh you know um i've got i've got a some of my mates uh, you know i talk to billy brownless and these guys when i catch up and they ask me how i feel about it but I do ask Billy, how do you guys think? And they absolutely adore it and they love it. They just think, you know, it's wonderful that you can share a culture like that on the big stage. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. I think it's great for the sport. Couldn't agree more, Ronnie. And it was terrific to hear your perspective on that. Um, I was talking with an ex-teammate of yours today in Aaron Lord, who we'll be speaking with next week. Uh, and it's great to hear that you've kept in touch with so many of your ex-teammates and coaches. And he suggests that uh, now I don't have I don't have any goss or anything. He didn't give me that, but he suggests that uh, perhaps your best game was against Sydney in round 22 of 2000, where you booted six goals. Do you remember much about that game? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, actually, I don't even remember it really. To be honest with you. Uh, I remember kicking six, but he actually brought it up. And he goes, "Do you remember?" I said, "I, I, I you said was it at Sydney SCG or Kidney Park?" He said, "Was that Kidney?" Goes, "Don't you remember your good games?" I said, "No, I don't. <laughs> I think I was just remember. I was just trying to remember the nights I went out." Again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, look, he, he he wrote an article and he did got he got to me and then we had a chat about it. And then I actually, it's funny, I actually got off the phone to him and then I had a look about it. Go, wow. I said, I do remember that game. I sort of had the ball on the string and had a, had a good day out. So, yeah, I just think it's really funny. It's um, just one of these, just those games where you just have the ball on the string and it just bounces in the right way and uh, everything just fell in place for me. I, I end up kicking six that game. And But I always say my, my best game I actually enjoyed was I kicked six against Fremantle in, in really wet condition against Fremantle uh, at Kidinia Park. And I think that was my first year. Um, and I really liked that one because Jared Neeson, um, I had to I had to prove something to Jared Neeson about that one because uh, he didn't put me on the list for Fremantle or I wasn't good enough. So um, I just went, well, that was great for me. So I well, think that's the best one I, re- I remember. We're celebrating your career um, tonight, Ronnie, and we touched on earlier about your career in the Waffle in the Northern Territory and obviously 
did our hearts as your career at Geelong, but we, it'd be remiss of us not to ask you about the couple of years you spent in Adelaide. Can you just um, provide us with a bit of, um, I suppose, perspective on, on what happened there, how you got to leave Geelong and ended up at Adelaide? Yeah, look, I think a lot of, I think a lot of Geelong's uh, supporters, and I didn't want to leave Geelong, and people don't remember that I was in a four-year long-term contract with Geelong, I had two more years to run out and um, I was overseas at that time and my manager was Michael Quinlan, um, the top dog management and I think Bomber Thompson was the coach uh, at that time and um, oh look, that's just trade rumours, I think I come off a, a, a not a very good year um, and, um, and I was just, uh, my name sort of got popped up and I think my name was brought up, um, not from Geelong footy club but a couple of cl- cl- other clubs actually asked you know would you trade Ronnie um, and I think I spoke to Bomber it sort of circled around in, in the media in the paper and I was in uh, Malaysia at that time and um, someone actually got on got a hold of me and said oh Geelong are going to trade you so I think it it got me uh, I was a bit sort of stabbed in the heart a bit and I was a bit I was a bit dirty over there it really got to me because I was overseas and uh, I I was a bit really upset, um, and I didn't know who to talk to. And I spoke to my manager at that time. I don't think we had mobile phones back then; we were just communicating by email. But um, and I did talk to my manager on the pay, on a landline over there. But I sort of soaked it up, and I thought, well, I'm going to get on the front foot. And um, I rang him back the next day, and I said, well, you tell Geelong, I'm going to get, tra- I want to be traded. Um, and then I think Bomber, I got back and I think Bomber Thompson spoke to me and basically said, no, you're not, you're part of my plan. I said, why did it come up in the conversation then? So it just got one thing led to another. He said, you're part of my plan. And I said, why would my name be thrown around? Football manager says, oh, club dark about Then I think Michael Quinlan just came to me and Gary S spoke to me and said, mate, do you want to come to Adelaide Crows? I'm here. Uh, we got Wayne Carey coming back. Uh, into the fold, and I said, okay. Um, and I put my name up, and then Geelong said, well, you've got a few days to think about it. And I said, well, I want to be traded. And I, I had to take a, a pay cut to fit under their salary cap. So I, I walked over there. I, I lost 150000 in that deal. So people don't realise that, um, yeah, I had to take a massive pay cut to, to fit under their salary cap. Um, so I, I lost out a fair bit of money over there. Um, and I think for me going Adelaide Crows, it was good to play with Gary, uh, to play under Gary Ayres again, but also to play with the guys like Andrew McLeod, um, Mark Rashido, good win, and also you know um, with Wayne coming back, we're great mates, me and Wayne, and we got to play to, play together, um, and also to finish my career off with uh, with Gary Ayres as well. So look, only, I was only there for two years, and I think me and Wayne and Nigel Smart were the three oldest ones on the list. But I had a good time over Adelaide. Um, good bunch of blokes, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, Ronnie, probably on to, uh, to slightly happier things as well in, in terms of your football um, afterlife. And you mentioned the Murrungbrook football show uh, before, and as a, as a viewer of that show, it seemed to be an awful lot of fun, and it was a great celebration of Indigenous football. Firstly, tell us a little bit about um, how much fun that was for you. And secondly, I understand one of the highlights was uh, one night in the show you had your uh, nose hair waxed. Oh no, I did actually. Um, I no, I had my I had something waxed. I can't remember, but I think I did my nose as well. So no, look, the Munger Footy Show was great. Um, look, we Grand Hanson and myself, we 
where he came up. We came up with the well. He came up with the idea. Spoke to me when I was in uh, in Melbourne and said, "Look, I want to come up with the, uh, an Aboriginal footy show." And we sat down together, had a coffee. I think it was in Smith Street uh, in Melbourne, and said, "Who we've got around?" I said, "Gilbert's here in Shepparton, Jerry Kickett's here, and Alan Thorpe, and obviously Layla Guruwiwi." So we came up with the idea, and uh, I think we filmed it out at RM, RMIT in Swanson Street. Uh, with uh, with Channel 31 at that time. And look, it just went on and we didn't expect it to, to grow and, and, and get a big audience. And um, yeah, we had a great time. Um, and I went back to Darwin for three years because uh, my dad was uh, unwell and spent three years back up there. But look, the show was great. Gilly was a character. We had a lot of, we had a lot of um, high profile players come on there and, and as a panel and as guests. And um, it just worked out well. And I think the good thing about it, it was about... Um, it was a, just a show the audience out there that you know that the Aboriginal Aboriginal people out there have a great sense of humour and and um, and we like to have a laugh and 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 we you know and display our talent and I think um, that's what ex- exposed a lot of things as well is that uh, we do love the game of AFL footy the VFL and the AFL and um, you know we had the Aboriginal girls on there as well um, and ex- exposed their talent and I think Shelley Ware still does a lot of media stuff down there in Layla um, but uh, it's all come to an end um, and I'm yeah and I'm I live up in Cairns now. <laughs> Ronnie, you mentioned before about uh, Jared Neesham and the Dockers and the, the six goals against Fremantle. You might be interested to know that the two teams that you kicked your most career goals against were Fremantle and West Coast. Do you think some subconsciously you were trying to send a bit of a message to those two teams for sort of overlooking you when, um, before going to Geelong? Oh, look, yeah. Oh, you're right on the money there. I just thought I—I I mean, look, not so much West Coast. I remember I—I I remember West Coast always, always were keen on me, and I did play in their under-23 uh, side, West Coast against Brisbane Bears um, when I was at West Perth. So they invited me down, and I think I kicked two or three goals that that game at at the at Subiaco. So I always had a—I knew West Coast Eagles were always keen on me because of my connection with Benny Vigana. So Benny, Uncle Benny's—he's my obviously my mum and my. And Benny are brothers and sisters, so Uncle Benny's well well known in Western Australia over there. Played with South Fremantle and State Footy, so I think West Coast always had that, um, you know, always looked at me and followed me. But I think Jared Neesham, um, uh, with Fremantle, it just burned me a bit more because um, he did invite me and Todd Curley down. They picked the two best prospects out of each Waffle Club, and he really didn't give me a reason why. At that time, they had about six Aboriginal players. On the on that going on that list, uh, Gary Durick, Scotty Chisholm, Capewell, uh, they had about six or seven. Uh, he pulled me over and he basically just said, "Look, I've got to let you go." And he couldn't give me a reason why. Um, I threw the jumper on the ground on the oval and walked straight off. And then I think Scotty Chisholm walked over and ran over and basically just said, "What's wrong?" I said, "I said he gave me no reason why." So. I think that's what burned at me. And every time I played Fremantle, I just wanted to, while he was coaching, I just wanted to turn it on. And and you're right, just to prove, and you know, prove a point that you know what, you let me go, and 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 that's that's how it was. So, um, yeah, it was always, it was more so Fremantle Dockers, but not so much West Coast Eagles. And look, and I've had that discussion with Andrew McLeod also, um, but we don't know. I mean, that's football. I mean, look, he he's made a he's made a. Jared and Neesham didn't know how good Andrew McLeod was. You know, he ended up winning two flags and two Norsen medal. But it's just one of those things, Jared. I don't have a grudge against Jared Neesham, but as a young kid, um, you know, he let Andrew McLeod go in the draft as well. 
Um, so, and I, I've had that conversation with Andy McLeod as well. He goes, we just, yeah, we just sort of turn it on the footy field when we play against Fremantle. Now, Ronnie, you're up in uh, the lovely Cairns now, and um, all of us here in Victoria are very, very envious. <laughs> we can't go anywhere, but um, what's life for you like in Cairns at the moment? Oh, look, I, you know, I, I, I've always been in Melbourne, but um, I've, I've just, I think people always that. I'm a very um, spontaneous guy. I just move around because I love travelling. I think I'm just on my, I'm on my own. And uh, look, I've got a daughter in Melbourne who's a teenager. She goes to an all-girls school in Melbourne. So it's just one of those things now. Of, um, I'm, I'm just on my own. And uh, my daughter, I was only in Melbourne because of my daughter through all her, her, her junior years. And now she's a teenager and doing wonders in school. And and loves her basketball, but uh, I think at that age, 13, 14, they just want to be around their, their girlfriends and uh, and stuff and, and sleepovers, so there's no time for Dad now. So I thought, well, I'm going to... I just moved up to Cairns. I've been up to Cairns a couple of times, and I just love the beach. I love the mountains up here, and I just sort of like running up in the hills and like looking after myself as well, and I just love the lifestyle up here, and it's very relaxed and laid back, and, uh, and there's not too much footy, which I do miss, but... Uh, there's a lot of rugby up here, so it's a bit different. But I do. I'm still. I'm craving for the AFL, but it's a bit of a timeout. I actually enjoy. I really enjoy Cairns, so I can see myself living here for for a long time. Well, Ronnie, we're glad that you're happy and content. And on behalf of the Cats Whiskers team, we thank you for your time tonight. Because I know that um, every time your name is mentioned amongst Geelong fans, there's a smile, there's a memory, there's a, a recollection of one of those unbelievable goals or great pieces of team football. And uh, you, I can tell you for a fact that you are really fondly remembered by the Geelong faithful here. And thank you for your career here and, of course, your career in uh, football generally. So great to have you on the program tonight, Ronnie. Thank you. And I just want to say thank you and all. If you've got the, uh, the, the viewers there and watching, I um, always always embrace Geelong supporters and uh, I always go down to Geelong and I've always pulled up, I always get pulled up by Geelong fans and, uh, yeah, they do acknowledge that. And uh, I do love the Geelong supporters and, and uh, I've never, ever, ever disliked the Geelong supporters and I still love them in my heart and always embrace them. So... I just want to send a cheerio to John Catters and, and to the supporters and wish them all the best. And hopefully I'll get down there and catch up with the guys again and have a good one. This week's team talk is the coaches' pets. We're not looking at players who got favourable treatment by their coaches. What we're looking at are players who inspired us with their surnames. And this, and the reason why this came about was because we're all waiting with bated breath for Geelong's Nakai Cockatoo to return to the senior fold. So it got us thinking, how many other players in VFL, AFL history have had a surname that could be deemed as a coach's pet? So we'll start from the back line. Carlton Premiership player and former Bulldog Matthew Hogg. Fullback Brad Fox, mainly remembered because of the Tony Lockett headlock uh, at the SCG that almost killed him. And in the other back pocket, Matt Eagles. And I'll throw it at Mark Brumber because I think you've, um, you were there on an important night of Matt Eagles' career just before it started. Yes, Gus, I just happened to be lucky enough to uh, score tickets to the, uh, the final of the recruit for that particular year that Matt Eagles won. It was at the, uh, the uh, Crown uh, Complex uh, up in Melbourne. Um, and it was a great night, actually, a very entertaining night. And uh, Matt Eagles, of course, was was eventually the winner. 
I think after going to the Brisbane Lions, I think he's he's actually played like I think he might have actually just played his third game since going there uh, this last weekend. So he's had a, a bit of a lean spell of it. But my reports are from up in Queensland is that he's one of those guys who would uh, earn himself nomination for the best clubman because he's always around, he's always up, he's always positive, even though his chances are few and far between. Very insightful indeed. And um, I think you might have been his good luck charm there in the audience there, Mark. We'll um, go to the half back line and we've got Eagles Premiership played Dwayne Lamb, Paul Ruse at centre half back and Andrew Swallow on the other half back flank. And Anthony Petkovic, what do you make of that formidable half back line? Well, two of these were really talented, natural players. Ruse and Swallow were sort of top-level players. Dwayne Lamb made himself into a top-level player. He was uh, a bit limited in terms of skill, but he could run all day. He had massive endurance capacity, and he was the type of player that I sort of... I like those team players that have a fulfil a role, and he was a player that West Coast relied on uh, very, very heavily for that endurance-type running. A really, really good player. It's interesting to see uh, Paul Ruse there in the uh, on the uh, page there in his Sydney Swans uh, jumper, which is is how a lot of people remember him. But but I'm I'm more fonder of of Paul Ruse during his time at Fitzroy because they were a team that was absolutely copping a pasting week in week out, and he would just give 150 percent every time he ran out in the ground. When Fitzroy had the wind, he played at centre half forward, and when they were against the wind, he played centre half back. He was a he was a terrific player. Now, our centre line is um, one of the, uh, the feathered variety because we've got Carlton Premiership star Gary Crane on the wing. We have Paul Hawke, former Sydney and Collingwood player, in the centre. And we have Daniel Chick of both West Coast and Hawthorne fame on the other wing. Guys, tell us about, a little bit about this uh, feathered brigade that we have running across the centre line. Well, interestingly, I, I see Daniel Chick there, and, and it's interesting what lengths football players will go to to prolong their career. And uh, Daniel Chick, I remember for having one of his fingers cut off because it was causing him so many problems that he actually got rid of it. The little pinky, was it, uh, Anthony? Certainly was. Uh, because of the way in which the, the finger set after it was broken, it was better off out of the way. Uh, Gary Crane's an interesting player. Gary Crane had a long career at Carlton, um, often um, missed many games during the uh, regular season to miraculously appear at finals time fully fit. And uh, he starred in a number of grand finals for Carlton in an era when they were a really excellent side. Was he, was he the Brad Ottens of his time, Anthony? He was. Uh, I mean, Brad Ottens was a bit like that. And Clark Keating, remember, at the Brisbane yes. Lions during their premiership run, it was sort of like he had a contract that said, I'm only available to play in September. Exactly right. Well, the half-forward line contains more of our uh, feathered friends again. And, and on, on the half-forward flank is the guy that actually inspired this team, is Nakai Cockatoo. At centre-half forward, Max Crow. Now, most people remember Max Crow playing for the Bombers, but he did finish his career at the Western Bulldogs, then at St Kilda. And Stewie Gull is on the other half-forward flank. So, again, that, that makes it six, well, six feathered friends in two lines there. Tell us a little bit about, about that, Mark, about, firstly going back to the days of Stuart Gull and Max Crow. And Megan can tell us a little bit more about the contemporary Nakai Cockatoo. 
Well, to be to be honest, uh, Gus, I'm familiar with the name of Stuart Gull, but I don't remember an awful lot about him. But I do remember Max Crow from uh, Essendon, and he was in one of their really uh, strong periods under Kevin Sheedy when they had a really, really strong side. And he was a very tough, uncompromising player and uh, always uh, always gave his heart and soul uh, on, on the ground and uh, was a very hard player to uh, to play on for a lot of opposition players. He certainly... Uh, a great player and, and also, as you say, gave valuable service to a couple of other clubs in, in uh, Footscray and, and St Kilda on his, on his way. And Nakai Cockatoo, he's, uh, I think as a Cats fan, I think we all love him and, and love the name that goes with it as well. He's an exciting player, but we haven't probably seen as much of him as what we would like to due to injuries. So hoping that he can overcome that and get a really good run probably next year, I would expect maybe he'll come back in this season. Let's hope. Gary, uh, in, in terms of Stuart Gull, um, I actually saw Stuart Gull take a mar- an unbelievable mark against Geelong in one of those games in the 70s that weren't, wasn't televised. If it hadn't been televised, this mark, it would rank right up there with um, the mark um, Stephen Smith took for um, uh, Melbourne, I think it was, in, in the mid-90s. It was one of those marks that you would... It, it was just unbelievable, over the top of Gary Malarkey and Jack Hawkins at the Lake Oval, but no television cameras meant no... It record. didn't happen. And and he, did you know, Anthony, he, he was a very accomplished boxer as well in his own right? That's why I also remember him for taking on Ronnie Andrews at Windy Hill. In yes. I think they both got about four weeks. Um, they threw about 20 punches, about 10 or... About 10 connected, and they got four weeks apiece. How many weeks would they get this these days, Anthony? 25. <laughs> <laughs> and while we've still got Megan, our forward line is not of the feather variety. It's more of a, well, we've got a fish in there, which is Paul Salmon. We've got a couple of, of pesky fellas in Michael Roach and Irving Mosquito, who made his debut in Darwin with the Bombers. And let's start with Irving, because wasn't he sensational? He was just so exciting. I think the Bombers have got a lot to look forward to. Two goals on debut. Uh, great game for him, I think, to start with. So I'm looking forward to watching more of him. Michael Roach, one of the best forwards of his time. 607 career goals. Coleman medalist. Premiership player. Richmond Hall of Famer. Could have had an even more successful career, I understand, if it wasn't for some injuries. So um, I'm sure you can all recall him much better than I can. Uh, and Paul Salmon, as you mentioned, known as Fish, was an absolute legend of the game. And he's featured in our team talk before. And I think he'll feature in many more. Good old Michael Roach had one of the best nicknames going around, I reckon, the old Disco Roach, because he used to uh, absolutely slay them at the Richmond Social Club <laughs> after the matches, I, I understand. Um, but but also Paul Salmon. As soon as I hear the name Paul Salmon, I don't know whether I'm like the rest of you Geelong supporters, but I always think of that game at the MCG yep. where... His greatness kicked 14 goals down mm. one end and Paul Salmon kicked 10 at the other end and we still lost. Yeah, oh, amazing. I was, still remember that vividly because I was there that day, like yep. a lot of us were. Now, the ruck, what we like about these teams, when we get nominations, they're very left field. Now, when I throw to the ruck rover, you'll know why. So the ruckman is Greg Deer from Hawthorne, who ended up finishing his career at Richmond. The ruck rover is Stephen Canilio from um, GWS. Um, and the rover, none other, none other than Dane Swan. So I'll, I'll ask you, Mark Brung, like, you know, you're the most cultured person on this panel. Um, why We're is Stephen, Stephen Canelio on this, in this team? 
I have absolutely no idea. I'm looking at the picture and there's a picture there of a rabbit beside him. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm not really good on my myxomatosis or anything like that. So I really have no idea, Gus. Oh, well, I, I am putting on the spot now. Sorry, me, I think Megan's got the answer for this. Well, I have a feeling, Gus, you might have said when you were asking for nominations that in another language, it was a, a, an animal in another language or something like that. So is, does, is Cornelio rabbit or something? You, pro you pronounced it beautifully, Megan, and it is Canelio, and it means rabbit in Italian. It's the there direct translation. So Very good. We don't, we don't get many people with the surname rabbit in English, but this was not anything to do with the way he plays uh, footy. He doesn't play like a bunny at all, but it is a common surname in Italy. And um, so there you go. That, so he's probably going to be the captain of the team. Uh, Paul Deere, and he, uh, very, very unassuming player, premiership player. Dane Swan, guys, what are your memories of, of the, the tattooed one? Oh, do they have to be football memories? Yeah. They can be any memories. <laughs> I, just, I just think that uh, Dane Swan has actually more value these days on Twitter while football is on <laughs> than he was on the football field. He is just a very, very funny and left of field man. I absolutely would love to do, donate his brain to medical science <laughs> and actually see what goes on up there because it's, um, it's amazing. Yeah. I think he won the Brownlow medal in the wrong year, though. I think the, the Chris Judd and he both won Brownlow medals in consecutive years, and uh, I'm pretty sure Swan should have won it the year Judd won it, and Judd should have won it the year Swan won it. So maybe the umpires were a bit confused, but that's what I remember him for. Yeah, and also too, Anthony, um, the year that he really threatened to embarrass the league was when he was sitting at home uninvited to the Brownlow and was wearing a Spider-Man suit. Now, if the cameras had to rush over to his home and film him, you know, uh, with the Brownlow in this Spider-Man suit, he would have been probably one of the most memorable Brownlow nights in the history of the VFL-AFL. Um, now, go to our coach, can be none other than Ross Lyon because, you know, Ross Lyon did play like a lion and he probably did coach like a lion at times. So, so he would be the one who would be in charge of this collection of animals, insects and anything else. Well, if Ross Lyon was coach, we know one thing about this team. It would have averaged nine goals a game. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how Michael Roach would go in a lineup like that. He'd probably be a bit cold standing at full forward. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, you've done a terrific job once again, Gus and team. Uh, just a final question, and one once again that I open, the, uh, open up the floor to you. Uh, respond to, and that is for the benefit of our Sport FM listeners who are, of course, saw plenty of Ross Lyon and heard plenty of Ross Lyon across the course of time. And now that he's back in Melbourne, how will he be remembered in Perth? Not so fondly, perhaps? Um, look, I, I, don't, I don't think he'll go down as one of their great coaches. I, um, I think he was, was serviceable. But to be honest, I've never been a fan of, of Ross Lyon's style of uh, play anyway. It was like that at St Kilda too. It was ultra-defensive. Uh, there was no real a flair or attack involved in, in his sides um, and you know for me I, I think he's probably um, not necessarily going to go down as one of his uh, one of their best ever coaches but I'm sure he won't ever be welcome to Kilder ever again. I think uh, he, he'll go down the same way Malcolm Fraser has remembered the circumstances in which he came into the job mm. and they were very unsavoury um, the dealings behind the scenes of Fremantle, Ross Lyon going behind his own management. Um, there's a lot of questions there, very murky questions. And I think when you come into a job in that manner, 
people are always going to be suspicious about your motivations and 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 what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I think um, I think he needs a, a bit of clean air. And I'm I'm sure his coaching future is not finished at at the right club under the right circumstances. I think Ross Lyon could be a uh, a very good pickup for a team maybe like uh, the current GWS uh, team. Yeah, I think the football gods did intervene because he had three cracks at a, at a premiership. Well, technically four. He had the 2009 against Geelong, 2010 against Collingwood, and obviously with Freo against Hawthorne. Had he won all three, I think as much as people complain about the style of football mm-hmm. today, I think the, the AFL would have probably just gritted their teeth and realised that there was going to be a lot of revenue going down the drain because had he got up with that style, we know they all play follow the leader guys and mm. would have just adopted that, that style that everyone's talking about. So I think the saving grace was he got far, but not far enough that that became the hallmark of how, we, of how the game's played. Do you mind if I throw a question to the panel, Wes? So just uh, something I picked up on the, um, on the weekend watching West Coast Eagles. I'm just wondering if any of you noticed the similarity in the Western and the uh, West Coast game style compared to Geelong. I noticed that they were trying to possess the football a little bit and then look for the, eventually look for the open player and then stream forward. And it just occurred to me that it looked an awful lot like Geelong's game plan. Did anyone else pick up on that? No, I, I did too. I think, and I think what Geelong are doing really well is controlling terms. Um, Geelong's first intention is to um, win the contested ball. And when they can't, they play that Hawthorne, as you say now, West Coast style, where, you know what, you're not going to get it. We're not winning the contested ball, so we're, we're just going to chip it around and frustrate you until we get it back on our terms. So I, did, I have seen that, Mark. I, I actually thought about that on the weekend as well. We will wrap it up with that thought. This podcast is accessible on a range of podcast platforms and is also heard throughout Perth on Sport FM 91.3. My thanks to Gus, to Megan, Anthony and Mark. I'm Wes Cusworth on behalf of the team. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.